Good morning. Welcome, Northwest Community Church. So glad that you guys are here this morning. Let me go ahead and let me pray for us as we jump um, into Jonah chapters 3 and 4. Two chapters to cover this morning. And so let's go ahead and pray and ask God's blessing on today. God, we are so grateful that we have an opportunity to stand before you this day and open up this hallowed book. You tell us to hallow your name. When we hallow your name, we are making a declaration that there is no one, no one like you. So we stand here each and every Sunday, and Lord, we live to be reminded of these great truths, of how good you are, how great you are, and how, Lord, you want to do your work in the city, and you're asking us to join and be a part of it. So we pray that you would use chapters 3 and 4 of Jonah to help us understand our role and our plan and our place in your plan. This morning, help us to understand the beauty of what you taught Jonah and what you can teach us and pray that as a result of today that we'll take steps closer to you. We'll be reminded of who you are. And Lord, if it be your will, would you save someone today? If there is somebody in here that doesn't know you, I pray that today that they would come to know you as their personal savior, that Lord, they would repent of their sins and place their faith in you and they would understand that that invitation is there for them right now. For all of us that are maybe going through a tough time, may, you, uh, may we recognize that you are there for us as well. That, Lord, when we call out in our distress like Jonah did in chapter 2, you answered. So we love you and we thank you for what we're going to learn today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, Jonah, chapters 3 and 4, before we get there, I thought it's pretty important that we understand the role of a prophet then and now. You see, we have prophets in the Bible. We have minor prophets and we have major prophets. So the question we have to ask is, does God still speak in that way today? The answer is yes and no. No, because we have the complete word of God. So in essence, God speaks through his word. And yes, because the word of God is still speaking because of those who are telling it. We have a, I have a quote for you. We do not have new prophetic messages but we do have the prophetic message, okay? That's important for us to understand. We prophesy in our homes all the time with our kids when we speak to them about the, the gospel. We, we, we prophesy all the time in church when we speak about the gospel and we talk about the word, the infallible word of God, and we talk about how beautiful it is and how great God is and how it talk, talks about him. And we as disciples, we prophesy when we proclaim truth to our neighborhoods, networks, and nations. And we do that, and we're to do that on a regular basis, not for our salvation, but simply because of our salvation in Christ and Christ alone. And so in both instances, God's word is being proclaimed. In both instances, God's people are called to repentance. That is in the, the, the season of prophets, and of course that is today as well. We have to recognize that God's word is complete and it is our honor and our privilege to be able to herald that great message. Amen? And so what, let's do a recap as we jump into chapter 3. We know that Jonah was a prophet. He was one who was sent by God to speak for God. That's what his job was to do. And Jonah the prophet says in chapter 1 verse 1 
that the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, and said, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because it is wickedness has come before me. And so when Jonah, instead of jumping on a camel and riding to Nineveh, he got into a big ship and went to Tarshish, more than 1,500 miles away from where God told him to go. The people of Nineveh, Nineveh are known to have a very wicked, wicked um, reputation. Things they would do to ladies and things they would do to kids. They would take men and they would skin them alive and bury them up to their necks. They would take their tongues and drive a stake into their tongue. They would, even, they would die of misery, of going crazy, or they would die of star, starvation. At the end of the day, they would take all of their, their skulls and put it up on a hill and they would sit there and say, look at what we have done and how we have conquered this city. And Psalm 139 and John 3.16 says that for God so loved the world, and that includes the Ninevites. That includes them. And he looks at Jonah and he says, I want you to go to them. And Jonah says, no, I'm not doing it. And so he looked for a way out. And let me tell you something. If you're looking for a way out, there will always be a way out. There will always be a door that's open for us to go through when we were rebelling against God and walking away. So what happens is Jonah comes to him, the, the ship comes, this, this, it gets in the ship and the storm comes and it says the Lord God hurled a storm. That means that God caused this to happen. Sometime God allows things to happen in this situation and in lots of situations, this was caused by God. This storm was sent not to pay Jonah back, but to bring Jonah back because he was rebelling and disobedient to God himself and God knows that's not what is best for your life. You'll never experience the presence of God when we're running from God. So Jonah comes and goes, ah, it's my fault, guys, it's my fault. Just throw me overboard and it'll all be over with. It'll be done, the storms will be, will be calm. And so they were reluctant, but they ended up doing that. They threw him overboard. And Jonah's like, finally, I'm done, I'm out of this. God sends a big fish. And then we found out in the end, the end of chapter two, vomiting him up. On the, on the shore of Nineveh, in his prayer, in his distress, in the belly of that big fish, Jonah calls out on the name of God. He calls out to him in his distress, and he answered. Now listen, many of us are sitting in here today, and we're talking to a friend, whether it's a spouse, whether it's a boyfriend or a girlfriend, and we call him, we say, why won't they pick up their phone? Have you ever been there? Or am I the only one? Why won't they answer? But listen, when we call on God, he is faithful to answer. He called out in his distress, and he simply, and he simply answered. And so then the last verse, as I said, the fish vomited him up on the shore, and that's where we're going to pick it up. We're going to go to Jonah chapter 3 and 4. And so we've got a lot of lessons, I think, that we can learn here, and let's, let's jump right in. We're going to break this apart really carefully and so we really understand our lessons it says in Jonah chapter 3 which I think is probably one of the greatest verses for you to memorize is, is verse 1 of chapter 3 then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time listen I want you to say that with me in unison are you ready let's do this together then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time 
Let me just say this, let me say this right now and ask you a question. Aren't you grateful for second chances? Aren't you grateful that we serve a God that is the God of second chances? I'm sitting here right now. And in 1990, I went to Gardner-Webb University. And I went to Gardner-Webb University to do two things. Number one, I thought I was either going to be a pastor or an ESPN sports broadcaster. And so anyway, anyway, the Lord, I, I, I got to Gardner-Webb and I was like, what did I go to Gardner-Webb for? I'm from South Windsor, Connecticut. That's a long way away to go to Gardner-Webb in Boiling Springs, North Carolina. And let me just say this, I got to Gardner-Webb. I loved everything about the college. I, I, I was not someone who was a party person in high school at all. My first weekend at Gardner-Webb, that all changed. I made a bad decision. I hadn't even, hadn't even gone to class yet, and I got written up for girls in a room. We were partying, and I had alcohol, and I got written up, and I hadn't even been to class yet. Well, it said, you need to go see Dean Scott, and I'll never forget this as long as I live. I'll never forget as long as I live. I put on the nicest shirt and the nicest tie I've ever had in my life. And I was with Larry Sellers from Hayesville, North Carolina, who was my roommate, because we were both, we were the two that got in trouble. And we went over to Dean Scott, and I said, listen, everything he says, we say, yes, sir, we own it, and we do everything he tells us to do. The RA who caught us did not show up for what's called the hearing. We sat in there for 15 minutes, and the RA did not come. Dean Scott looked at me straight in the face and said, that's like the prosecuting attorney not showing up for a court case. He slid his arm off, the, the file was here, he slid his arm, the file moved over, and it fell into what he called the circular file cabinet. He said, guys, that's the trash can. I want to let you know something. Don't ever let me see you in here again. Am I clear? Yes, sir. I felt like saluting him. <laughs> let me get back to the point here. I am grateful for second chances. It was a wake-up call for me. That's, that's not the kind of person I wanted to be. And so that first weekend was a beautiful, beautiful wake-up call to a God who is graceful in giving second chances. And if we're honest, we can't live without those second chances and the third chances. Here it is. Jonah has rebelled against God. He then repents, and he gets a second chance. The one who did not deserve it is being extended to him right now, an opportunity to make everything right. Some of us are sitting here right now, and maybe we've received a second chance, but we don't want people in our lives to get a second chance. I would say, let us use and let us, like the grace that's been extended to us, extend that to others. You don't understand they, what they've done to me. They've lied to me, or taken money from me, or this, or this, or that. I would say let's take a look at what God did in Jonah and give folks a second chance. Here is the most important lesson that we could possibly learn in Jonah chapter 3 verses 1. We must not let the second chance be a wasted chance. I'll say it again. We must not let the second chance be a wasted chance. We can sit there and say, hey, Oh, the God of the universe in his, in his power and in his grace has given me a second chance. But how do I allow it and how do I make it not be a wasted chance? I was um, pastor of a church called the Creek Church years ago. And so I just would always go to the CVS pharmacy right before the church service to get breath mints. Because that's what you're supposed to do in church. You get breath mints, right? 
So I would always stop there and get some breath mints, and I would always talk to the same guy. And so over a period of time, we got to a, a situation where I was able to share the gospel with him. And so one day, I just looked at him in the face, and I said, I got to ask you a question. I said, um, has anybody ever told you that God loved you? He said, yep, I died one time, but I came back to life. I said, this is interesting. Where are we going to go from here? And I said, that is, that's interesting. Tell me about that. He said, I died and had a heart attack, and I was in a coma for three days. I was... I was not awake. I, I didn't wake up, and I was there for three days. While I had died and went into a coma, I had a vision. I had a vision that God was standing right there, and right next to him was my father. My father had on his khaki pants, his white button-down shirt, and his red suspenders. That was what he always wore. He was standing there next to God. He looked at me, my father did, and he told me, it's not your time. Shortly after that, I woke up. Here I am. I asked him a question. I said, well, let me ask you a question. What has changed from God giving you another chance at life? He looked at me, and this haunts me to this day. He looked me in the face, and he said, nothing. Nothing's changed. And I'm sitting here taking a look at the God of the universe who is merciful and graceful, and it says he came to Jonah a second time. Listen, let's not the second time be a wasted time. Let's take full advantage of all that we have in Christ. The grace that's been extended to us and the mercy that's been revealed to us. To the marriage. Let me tell you something. You're still breathing and you haven't killed each other. So breathe and do the right thing by loving each other unconditionally the way that Christ loves you. Parenting. Listen, if we're sitting here in parenting, we recognize that, listen, we need far more than a second chance. And for you students that are all over here. I recognize that last year in high school, it was probably, it could have been a bad year for you. you. You made maybe some bad decisions. Maybe you compromised in areas that you shouldn't have compromised in. But I'm telling you, it's a new day. And there's a time that God has said, I'm gonna give you a second chance, don't waste it. And so let this, let this year be a year that is marked by great grace and great mercy and being an ambassador for King Jesus in your school. Don't let last year mark you this year. Let this year be marked by relying on the power of the Most High to help you make a difference where God has sovereignly positioned and plant, planted you wherever he has planted you in whatever high school, college, or whatever he has placed you in whether you are in elementary school, middle school, or high school. Don't let last year's mistakes come into this year. Learn from them and learn that there's a God in heaven who's given you a second chance. Don't waste that chance. All of us can sit here and say that maybe you're sitting here saying, well, I, I don't deserve a second chance. You have no idea what I've done. I know what Jonah has done and I know what I've done. And I'm sitting here telling you right now, I'm not giving a second chance. It's the God of heaven who's giving a second chance. Let's not turn our back on that. Some of you are in here right now, and you've had time and time and time again to hear about the love and the grace of Jesus, and you have said no to Jesus. You have said no to him, as in calling you to salvation. That's what I'm asking. That's what I'm talking about. 
God has come to you over and over and over again. And I'm begging you right now to not let this chance go by. You're still breathing today. Please accept him as your savior. It's not, there's nothing like it. There's nothing like it. So like a prophet that is supposed to speak, we ask to repent and give your life to Jesus. Let us collectively not let the second chance be a wasted chance. Okay, verse two. Arise, go to Nineveh, the great day, and call out against it the message I tell you. So here's what God is telling his servant. I have a message. I'm gonna tell you what to say. That is great freedom for me and you as an ambassador for Christ is that the message is not something that we have to think about or we have to, we have to create. It's a message that he has created and it's a message that he will empower us to then declare. So here's verse three and verse three is basically a demonstration of how the second chance is not wasted because it says, so Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of God. He is acting on the second chance. Now Nineveh was exceedingly a great city, three days journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. That's his message. <laughs> That's what he said. Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. You never know what the spirit of the living God will do with the words that you say. You have no idea what people hear because of God's spirit when you just are there in availability and just saying, God, my yes is on the table. You put it on the map. So verse five says, and the people of Nineveh believed God. So here's the message. Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And it says, and the people of Nineveh believed God. <laughs> That's unbelievable. It says, they called for a fast and put on sackcloth. From the greatest of them to the least of them. The meaning of go into the city means that Jonah was tied to something and had to untie himself and go forward. He was bound by something. Bound by different idols or ideals that he had in his mind. The idea is that Jonah ran because he was holding on to some idols. And when God comes to him right now in this second chance, he unties those. We have to ask ourselves, what are we tied what are we tied to that is preventing us from going to our Nineveh is it fear of failure is it being liked is it not being made to feel dumb is it i don't want to or they don't deserve it all of those yes we can identify with and even have said but they're not of scripture the message that Jonah shares is only eight words and Nineveh is strong and influential city. And Jonah boldly says, you guys got 40 days and your city's gonna be overthrown. It was short, it was direct, and it was offensive. It had a double meaning to it, which I think is what we need to understand in the original language of Hebrew. The double meaning here is, is a word that means, hey, you're either gonna be overturned and destroyed or you will be overturned and changed for God's glory and your good. It's really the message that he said. It's a conditional statement with a timeline. Saying, hey, listen, listen. You got 40 days. Or you will be taken out and experience the wrath of God. Or you will experience the grace of God. Our timeline today 
is simply not necessarily 40 days, but it's simply while we are breathing, while we are still have oxygen in our breath and God has given us another day. That's our timeline for responding to the great mercy and grace of God. And so 40 days and you'll be either destroyed or 40 days and you're changed. Basically what he's saying is, what will it be? What is it going to be? We can be tempted sometimes to simply just talk about God's love and how his love is for everybody and everything and fail to talk about the wrath and the danger of what happens when someone does not repent of their sins and place their faith in Christ. There's a real place, it's called hell, and there is the wrath of God, and we cannot exercise one at the expense of the other. Making it more digestible makes it detestable in the eyes of God. It is the full counsel. It is warning people. And that is what's going on. One pastor said this. I believe many Christians don't share the gospel because they are not convinced in their hearts that people actually go to hell. Let us never be a church and let us never witness where we water down the gospel. The gospel is the love of God and it is the wrath of God. And it is a message of hope that we do not have to experience one as we get to experience the other. Verse 6, the word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne. He removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and he sat in ashes, and he used a proclamation and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles. Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. Verse 10, when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. Let, let, let me simply just have some, some freedom here with this to sort of so, try to sort of paint the picture of what's taking place. You have this prophet walking into 120,000 people who absolutely hate Israel. They, this Nineveh is the capital of the, Assyri the Assyrian Empire. Right, it is the capital. It is deplorable. It is disgusting. And you have this man of God walking into the city saying, hey, you, need, you got 40 days. You, need, you got 40 days, you're going to be overtaken. It's like, let me, just, let me just paint this picture just a little bit here. Work with me. It's like you're sitting there, and no disrespect to band players or anything like that. It's like all of a sudden you have the introvert tuba player from the band walking into the middle of the football team and the soccer team. And they just look up and they say, listen to me, you need to repent and you need to follow Jesus or you will die a, a, a life without him. And all of a sudden, every single one of them come to faith in Christ. Even Sunshine, the quarterback. It's as if, it's as if it's, what we're looking at right now, what we're looking at right now is we're seeing that it's like, you know, in our, in our modern day times, it's like Kevin Hart becomes an evangelist. The change that takes place. 
the Ninevites repent and give their lives to the Lord, what the king does and he calls for, he calls for a radical fast. He says, hey, listen, let me just, under, let me just make sure you understand something right now. What, what has taken place is unbelievable. The people get saved. The king finds out. He steps off of his throne. He takes off of his robe. He puts on sackcloth, which is like goat hair. Basically what that means is it's the biggest demonstration of humility. It's not comfortable. Sitting in ashes, it's not comfortable. It's dirty. He's the king. And he calls out for this massive fast and says, hey, listen, I want you to think about who God is. I want you to walk with God. I want you to remember all that he is, all that he does, and all that he can do. And the king of the Ninevites ushers in this great fast. Here's, here's what's going on right now. We see this beautiful, beautiful demonstration of the king who comes to faith in Christ. And here's what I want you to know right now. The king... The king of the Ninevites, the most deplorable group that's ever been known, he is sitting there in repentance and asking and leading his people to ask for God's forgiveness. So let me tell you something right now. There might be someone that is absolutely so close to you and you have said before and maybe you believe even right now there is no possible way they can come to Christ. I dare to disagree with you. The power of this great message is unbelievable. And there is a great call for us on the verse that we read this morning to be ambassadors as if Christ were pleading through us. Be reconciled to Jesus. You can be. It is beautiful. So let me summarize our three points and then we'll jump into chapter four in our time remaining. So first off, don't let the second chance be a wasted chance. The word of God came to Jonah a second time and then in verse three it says, and he arose and went to Nineveh. Okay, so don't let, the sec- don't let the second chance be a wasted chance. Number two, the power of the gospel empowers the messenger and saves the lost. The power of the gospel empowers the messenger and saves the lost. Don't ever forget that. And then finally, we have to understand that there is a God in heaven that we serve who is merciful. God is a merciful God. He's a merciful God. And if we're honest with this, there is every single day that we are not getting what? We're not getting what we do deserve. That's the definition of mercy. Not getting of what we do deserve. And every day we are not getting that. And so we jump into chapter four and here's what happens. Jonah walks off a little bit. He leaves the city. He just saw probably perhaps one of the greatest demonstrations of God's grace, God's power and saving an entire city of 120,000 people. And here's what we see, what happens to Jonah. He's excited, he's all this. No, that's not what it says in verse one. Let's take a look at what it says, one to four. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly. And he was angry. So we're sitting here going like, what just happened? How could he? Let's, let's be careful that we say that because we've all been there before. And so when he prayed to the Lord and said, oh Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country This is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. So I knew all this about you and that is why I ran away, because I didn't want you to give that to them. Verse three, therefore, now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord is sitting there, whoa, wait, wait just a second. And he asks him a question. And, he, and the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? 
Like he's trying to unpack this anger for him. We have anger all the time. Righteous anger and unrighteous anger. A lot of times we're in unrighteous anger. So Jonah has just seen one of the greatest demonstrations of the gospel that's ever been seen or, and or recorded. And he leaves the city in departure and we can see what happens. He's drifting into this, this realm of pride. He's drifting into this, hey, they don't deserve this. I deserve this. My people deserve this. The Israelites deserve this, but they, they, they don't deserve it. He gets into an utter frustration with God and he just wants to go and die. Now, I think God's probably looking at Jonah and saying, hey, okay, Jonah, come on, for real? Over 120,000 people, just you really think that, we sh- that that shouldn't have happened or that I shouldn't have offered them grace? I mean, come on. And then I was thinking that maybe, maybe, maybe Jonah would come around. Uh, okay, God, you know what? I repent, I'm wrong, and I, I, I just, I confess that you are the king of kings, and Lord, I apologize, that's not what happened. Jonah went into this silent treatment and went off and sulked under a little booth area. Let's look at verse 5. Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. And so he, here's, here's what's going on right now. He's, he's looking at it going, okay, I'm just going to sit and I'm just going to wait for them to be taken out. Because that's kind of what I'm, I'm leading. That's what I want to happen, what I'm leading them, I'm wanting to believe. And so... God does not speak to Jonah, but decides to, I'm going to teach him a great lesson about the mercy and grace of God, and I'm going to use a tree and a worm and a wind and some sun to do just that. I'm going to teach him a lesson about my mercy and a bigger lesson. We'll go get to it. So verse 6 says this, now the Lord appointed, they're not talking right now, they're not having a conversation right now, the Lord appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah, that it might be shade over his head to save him from the discomfort. So without speaking, the Lord is looking at Jonah going, hey, I've got a question for you, big boy. How do you like the the mercy that's being extended to you right now? How do you like the mercy that's being extended to you? In the midst of your distress, in the midst of your bad theology, in the midst of all of this, God's still pursuing him and trying to teach him a lesson about mercy and about grace. He's like, think the rhetorical question that God could ask if you give me that freedom is saying, how do you like that grace? So verse seven comes and it says, but when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint and he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. Then without words again, I believe God is asking him the question, so how is it to live without the mercy of God? He's saying in verse 9, but God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor. The reference there is, I created these people before the foundation of the world. Psalm 139 says that all people are fearfully and wonderfully made. John 3, 16 says, for God so loved the world. So he's looking at them and saying, I have created them and created them to be worshipers of me, to have that opportunity. Verse 10 says, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which you came into at night and perished in a night. And verse 11, and should I not pity Nineveh, the great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle? 
here is the lesson to you, Jonah, and to us, Northwest. Jonah, you are not content because you are trying to be me. Say it again. You are not content because you are trying to be me. The flower, the shade, and the worm reveals the sinful, racist heart of Jonah. He is upset at the freedom that God has to be God. That's where Jonah is at this time. Basically, what he's saying is, is you are not God. I am. I'm loving. I love you. I am merciful. I empower believers to share this message. And I, and I give you hope. And I am able to save anyone. And listen, it is my my will that this take place. There's a lot of times that we can be really, really confused as to the gospel and what it's for and, 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 and how it's played out. There's a popular book by Thomas Nelson Publishers. They publish Christian books. And I use that term sometimes. You have to be careful when you say it's a Christian book. But that's what Thomas Nelson is known for. And there's a, girl, there's a book called Girl, Wash Your Face. Stop Believing the Lies About Who You Are so you can become who you were meant to be. And it was a book by Rachel Hollis. And here are some of the quotes in the very first chapter of the book that we must be incredibly, incredibly careful with. First, first, first statement of the book is, you are meant to be the hero of your story. You and only you are ultimately responsible for who you become and how happy you are. You should be the very first of your opportunities. And so here's what's taking place right now. God is coming to Jonah in chapter 4 and realizing that you, Jonah, are not in the wrong place. You, Jonah, are trying to take my place. And that is incredibly dangerous for you and I to try to do the same thing. So to Jonah and to books like this, the message from God is very simply, you shall have no other gods before me. You should deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. And I will add, get out of my seat. Get out of my seat. It is revered for someone who is holy and to be hallowed. That is his place. That is his seat. And we are to worship him. He is not there to worship us. Or be a puppet in our story. Our lessons that we learn are very clear and very simple. Don't let the second chance be a wasted chance. The power of the gospel empowers messenger and saves the lost. God is a merciful God, and God is God. Stop trying to take his place. Jonah had an idea that he knew what was best. He had this idea that he knew what God should do. And believed that he was right. May we collectively live as disciples who are making disciples and not believe the lie or believe or, or succumb to the temptation that we can be God or that that is our seat. It is his seat. It is for him and it is for him alone. Let's get out of it. Let him be God. Let us be ambassadors for his glory and for our good. I love you. Let's pray. Lord, Again, if there is anybody in here today that has said no to you before, I pray that they would understand that today is a day that they can say yes, that there is another chance. Lord, I pray that they would repent and I pray that they would believe. Use these next two songs to captivate our hearts around how good you are, how great you are. Let us live in today recognizing, yes, that we have messed up, Yes, that we have fallen. 
But Lord, allow us to have those second chances, but allow them not to be wasted. You are loving, you are merciful, you empower us, you save people. Lord, that's what you do. Let us join you where you are working. We know that we will be satisfied in doing that. Be with our city this week. Help us to love on our city and our community with great power and great boldness and help us to do that because of the love and the grace and the mercy of the Most High. Hallowed be your name. I love you. In Jesus' name.